You can learn new things at any time in your life if you're willing to be a beginner. If you actually learn to like being a beginner, the whole world opens up to you. Barbara Sher, the metaverse, NFTs, cryptocurrency, all words I have heard a lot over the past few years, but have had no idea what it's all about. If you're in the same boat, stay put, because on today's episode, we are about to change all of that. You have the power to be the boss of your own life. I'm your host, Monica Allen. I'm a wife, mom, entrepreneur, best-selling author, lifelong learner, and your biz bestie. I have a love and passion for all things small business. Growing my own company from $700 to over seven figures annually, my goal is to bring you inspiration, business-focused topics and tips, encouragement, and a community that helps you launch, grow, and scale your business Whether you are a dreamer, a side hustler, or a seasoned entrepreneur, you are listening to the Become Your Own Boss podcast. This episode is brought to you by Trifecta Group Coaching. Trifecta Group Coaching is a new business partnership that I'm in with two fabulous ladies, Kelly Lanes and Monica Van Landingham. Focusing on business strategy with myself, marketing strategy with Kelly, and social media growth and engagement with Monica, we are here to intentionally propel your business forward. And we are doing this with our Trifecta Toolbox. This toolbox provides you with an overall business checklist, email subject lines that deliver, a step-by-step email launch strategy, which is so important whenever you're doing a new product or a new service and social media templates that we teach you how to make your own so you're showing up confidently and as a thought leader on your social media page. Each area includes video trainings as well. So grab the Trifecta Toolbox. You can go to trifectagroupcoaching.com slash shop. That's S-H-O-P. Trifecta Group Coaching slash shop. Today I'm speaking with attorney Joanne Holmes. She practices in the area of intellectual property licensing and digital assets law, including NFTs, DAOs, the metaverse, cryptocurrencies, and blockchain technology. She has been an attorney for over 20 years and has closed profitable contracts with respected brands like Disney, Microsoft, and the NFL. She helps innovative brands and content creators develop smart Web3 strategy, monetize IP, and negotiate successful deals. With all of us being in business here, it is imperative that we keep learning and know how these things are impacting businesses right now and how it may impact ours in the future. Take a listen to my interview with Joanne. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so thrilled for this conversation. It is my honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. Well, thank you for being here. You are an attorney and you know all about NFTs, Web3, Metaverse, all of these terms that in all honesty, when I hear them, my eyes glaze over. I don't know what's (laughs) happening. I don't know what people are talking about. Can you just start by giving us just some quick definitions of those things? Absolutely. I think it might be helpful to understand how we got to Web. Three, if we think about Web 1, to borrow from Chris Dixon at Andreessen Horowitz, Web 1 was read, Web 2 was read-write, and Web 3 is read-write-own. 
So if we think about it from the perspective of a business owner, in web one, you might have been able to have a static web page where you share what your inventory is, what products you have to offer, what their prices are, your phone number, your physical store address, right? So you could share information, but there was no interaction. Web two for a business owner might have looked like you running ads on Facebook Marketplace or you selling through Amazon or Etsy as an e-com opportunity. But what that meant was that while we could interact with each other, business owners could have access to their customers. Maybe you could have a Facebook page where you hear feedback from the people who buy your products and services, or maybe you could read the reviews on Amazon, for example. But the platforms were owned by large corporations. And anytime that Facebook changed their algorithm or Amazon changed their terms for sellers, you had to adapt to that and you really were vulnerable to the decisions that those corporations were making. So while we had the opportunity to read and write in terms of interactive communication, certainly aided by mobile technology and people having access to smartphones, there was still not, unless you were a shareholder, say, for example, of a Facebook or an Amazon, there was not the opportunity to really participate meaningfully in ownership. Web three is the next turn. So if we continue in that same analogy to the business owner, you can continue to have that Facebook community. You can run the Facebook ads online. You continue to sell through Amazon, but your store can then have a presence in the metaverse, for example, or you might sell NFTs to your community and that might offer them loyalty rewards or access, first access to products or services. So the way that we have made this transition in terms of the technologies that we have available has manifested itself in moving to a point where you can have ownership and direct access to your community. And then that community can say, okay, if I think that this is a great store and others are going to want to come in, then by virtue of owning an NFT, I have an asset that buys into my fandom, my loyalty, my interest in this that is going to give me rewards. And when I'm not interested in that anymore, I have an asset that I can sell to someone else. That's sort of how we got from web one to two to three. If we think about the tent poles of what is web three, there are really five things. The first is cryptocurrency. And so cryptocurrency is the monetary unit that we use to make transactions happen in Web3. There are over 10,000 of them. Some of them have much more use than others, but it's the baseline money that is used to make transactions happen in Web3 and on blockchains. The second is decentralized finance. And that is really very much akin to traditional finance in terms of the ability to store your money, the ability to transfer money, the ability to earn yield or use collateral. All of those things exist in a Web3 context. The next three are the ones that are really my domain. So NFTs or non-fungible tokens are two things. They are a token or a deed or certificate of ownership on a blockchain, just like you have a deed to your house or your car. Okay. And then the thing that's related to that token could be a digital asset like digital art, for example, sports memorabilia, or it could be a physical thing. We've already had experiences where people have, for example, bought a house using an NFT. So that 
token on the blockchain or deed of ownership on the blockchain relates to digital or physical assets. That's number three. Number four is something called DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations. And what a DAO is, is a new way of coming together literally on a global basis across communities based on a common interest and with a common online bank account. DAOs might be a group of people who are interested in arts or music. It could be a group of people who want to come together for an investment purpose, a group of people who want to support a digital protocol that has a certain functionality, or it could be a group of people who come together to offer a product or service. And then there's going to be something called a digital wallet, and that's going to be the treasury where the funds come together and they can make a decision collectively as members of that DAO. That's the fourth. Our fifth and final is the metaverse. And so anybody who has kids, may have had an experience with Roblox or World of Warcraft or Minecraft. And your kids might have asked for money to buy skins or emotes or weapons. Right now, (laughs) all of those assets are owned by the gaming corporation. And it's actually probably a violation of the terms of service for those assets to be taken out of the game and bought and sold. In a more modern concept, we have metaverses like Decentraland or the Sandbox. And what's unique about them is those same emotes or weapons or skins are going to be NFTs. And they're going to be able to be used across different metaverse worlds. So think about your kid being able to use that skin in Roblox and also in Minecraft. That will be the promise of these new metaverse worlds. Also, those... NFTs that can be used in the metaverse worlds are assets. And so you can buy and sell them just like any other asset and their value will appreciate and depreciate just like any other asset. So it's really, again, moving towards that ownership economy as opposed to being locked into an ecosystem that a third party corporation owns. So just to quickly recap the five tenets that we have of Web3 are cryptocurrency, the monetary unit, Decentralized finance, which is the corollary to our traditional financial world using blockchain technology. NFTs are non-fungible tokens, which are deeds of ownership that relate to a digital or physical asset. DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations that are the way that people come together for a function with a treasury. And then finally, the metaverse, which are virtual worlds. Some exist right now in Web 2, like Roblox in Minecraft, and some exist in Web 3 on blockchain technology, like the Sandbox and Decentraland. Wow. But okay, I actually can relate to the last one you mentioned, because Mm -hmm. I do have a child who is constantly asking me for Robux to buy things. So Uh I get that. I understand Mm -hmm. that one. When you correlate it to being able to take it to different places, I get that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What do you see? I'm a small business owner. Mm -hmm. People who are listening to this podcast are small business owners or sole proprietors. What should we be thinking about if we want to be a part of this world, these, the whole thing? That's a great question. And it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about because One of the ways that I help my clients is for those who have an existing customer base or client base, for those who are maybe influencers or athletes or celebrities, and they have a strong fan base, I help them think about how you create meaningful opportunities using blockchain-based technology so that you're really adding value. And when I say adding value, I'm thinking about how do you 
provide step change exponential value to the effect of moving from postal mail into email, kind of exponential change. How should small business owners be thinking about these technologies? It really depends on a few things. The framework that I work through is called Architect, and it starts with looking at your identity. It moves into what your opportunities are, and then the final phase is execution. So if we use a small business owner, for example, the first thing is to think about what is your identity? What makes people come into your store? What makes people buy with you online? What is your brand? You know, Apple's brand, for example, is going to be very refined, clean, distinct design, high-end quality, right? If, if you're a small business owner and that's the kind of reputation you've built up in your customer base, mm-hmm. you want to understand that that is your unique identity and it should carry over when you are thinking about your strategy in Web3. If you are Beyonce and you know that your fan club is the beehive and you know the reasons why those fans will follow you, will buy your products at maybe an elevated price point relative to more discounted products, you know the things that make your fan base follow you. If you're Harley Davidson, you know why people ride a hog and not some other brand of motorcycle. So really thinking about the psychographics, the demographics, the brand and the culture, that is the identity that you've built up and that you're already known for, for those who follow you or buy from you. That's the first piece. The second piece is thinking about opportunity. If we can consider the ways that I typically work with clients is going to be around NFTs, DAOs, and the metaverse. Let's use an NFT as an example. If you're a small business owner and you know the reasons why a customer are interested in you, then you can build on those. If let's say you sell one. Okay. You could say to yourself, I'm going to issue an NFT. It's going to be a nice piece of art that I believe is going to appeal to the people who I know have been interested in buying my wine in the past, right? First of all, you have a beautiful piece of digital art. That is a way that you grow revenue through the sale of that NFT. But what I really like to help clients think about is an ecosystem of value. And that's really how people are going to adopt and come into Web3 is because it's not a one-time gimmick, but it's a long-time ecosystem of value. And if that NFT, let's let's say, for example, if you hold that, then you become a member of the, the Wine Club DAO. And the Wine Club DAO gets to vote and say, okay, we want this type of wine to be available for those in the club. And so that is giving your customer base a voice and a say-so, a a sense of pride of ownership, if you will, in being a member of your DAO. You might say, well, when we have exclusive bottles that are limited edition, the members of our DAO are going to have first access to be able to buy those bottles, right? We might say that we are going to have wine tastings and the members of the DAO are going to be the first who are invited to be able to participate in those wine tastings. We might say we are going to have uh, discounts or sales and those who hold the NFT and our members of the DAO are going to be able to get reduced pricing. So we're thinking through things like governance, participation, encouragement of loyalty, concepts of ownership and buy-in, access to products and services. Maybe you have people come in from a vineyard and you have them teach about what makes a great 
season of grapes and what their process is for making them unique. So you think about, again, what is your brand? What causes people to be loyal to you? And how can you use Web3 technologies to be able to facilitate not just that first NFT sale, but in your execution, maybe the NFT sale was your minimum viable product, but your ecosystem of value are the types of things we just talked about. Okay. I am visual in my brain. Mm -hmm. So I'm Mm -hmm. seeing a picture and Mm -hmm. I'm seeing this winery Mm -hmm. owner Mm -hmm. selling, and I assume multiple NFTs of digital Mm -hmm. art, Mm -hmm. different art. And the P, you know how art already has, like you might have one out of 50 or one out of a hundred. Could you sell the same digital piece similarly, or is it just a unique one piece first Mm -hmm. with the NFTs? Again, when I'm working with my clients, what I'm trying to understand is what is your objective? You might have more than one NFT. You might issue, and and in the example that I had in my mind, I was thinking about a wine retailer. So not necessarily the winery, but a retail store that might sell a collection of wines, right? From different Mm -hmm. vineyards. In my example, I am thinking that maybe you have something akin to a loyalty club, but let's say we go with what you suggested and you have that vineyard. Maybe you have an NFT for each season, right? It is your authentication tool. If you think about someone who, for example, goes to a concert of their favorite artist, they Mm -hmm. might hold onto that ticket for years and years as a collector's item. So they have a memento and a a remembrance of what that experience felt like for them. If you are a huge fan of a winery, you might have, maybe you bought a case of wine because it was the year your child graduated from college or the year you got married. And you want that NFT of that vintage year to be your memorabilia, your collector's item for that season of the vineyard. You might have um, some people like a red wine, some people like a white wine. So maybe your NFT collection is for the white wine collection versus the red wine collection. Maybe your NFT offerings are for different reasons. Maybe one of them is for a loyalty club where you get discounts. Maybe another one is for wine tastings or a tour, right? So again, if you were the wine store owner, you might say, we are having a once a year, our store is going to organize a tour of vineyards in Napa Valley. And if you are a member of this, if you're a holder of this NFT, then you will have access to be able to go on this tour of Napa Valley vineyards with us, right? And so you can have different NFTs for different purposes, or you okay. can have one FT, NFT that you use broadly. It really depends on what your objectives are. If you are trying to maintain an existing customer base, if you're trying to attract a new customer base, if you're trying to increase sales, if you're trying to expand the scope, let's say you have a great deal of sales of red wine and you really want to expand your champagne, your sparkling wines or your white wines. Maybe you issue an NFT collection to encourage people and incentivize them. And what's great on the customer side, on the NFT holder side is, If they decide that they're not receiving the value that they wanted to receive or they want to move on to bourbon or whiskey, they can sell that NFT to someone else. Okay. And if the value of it has appreciated, and we have to be careful because the value of any asset can go up or down. 
Right. So you really want to be making a representation around the value that someone is going to get from being that NFT holder, not around its value going up or its value going down. You want to stay away from those things because that frankly starts to look like securities. And that is regulated mm-hmm. in a very specific way, like a share of a corporation. You right. really want to focus on the value of being that holder or being in the membership of your DAO for the purpose of being able to enjoy the benefits of those members. But the truth of the matter is if word gets out and people love being one of your NFT holders because they really do find value and they enjoy, for example, being a member of your DAO, then it's quite realistic that the value of that NFT might go up. And when you sell it, it might be worth more than what you bought it for. Gotcha. If I'm the holder of this NFT, am I still, am I actually getting some physical wine? Like, am I getting the physical white wine collection too? I mean, I'm just curious. It all depends on how it's designed. And the issuer of the NFT collection is going to get to make the decision around what the cost of the NFT is going to be. So if you design your NFT such that it's akin to a wine of the month club, then Mm. you're going to want to cover the cost of being able to issue that bottle of wine to those NFT holders. If you are not going to include that, and it's going to have a different set of benefits, then your price point for the NFT is going to be different. Another aspect of this that someone could consider, again, in terms of examples is, If you are a wine collector, let's say it's something that you do because Mm -hmm. you understand that the value of of, of a fine wine can appreciate over time, that bottle of wine is going to have to be maintained in certain conditions at a certain temperature. You want to make sure that the bottle is not broken or damaged in any way, that it remains properly sealed. One of the things that the NFT can do is it can serve that certificate of ownership function. So that bottle of wine can be stored in a central location where the blockchain can be used to confirm that it arrived at the place that it was supposed to be and it has been maintained at that place. And then you can sell that NFT representing ownership of the bottle of the wine, but its physical possession is not moving from place to place. And the benefit is there's not that risk of damage to the asset happening. So if you are using a wine bottle as an investment source, instead of taking the risk of transit and potential damage, you can just have the transit or the transfer happen through the NFT deed of ownership as opposed to the physical asset. That's so fascinating to me. And you mentioned earlier that a house had been purchased this way. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of it. So you have the NFTs up here, and then I kind of see it like a funnel almost with the DAO. Uh So you have Uh these group of people who are part of this kind of club, and you may give them special rights, discounts, or various things. Mm -hmm. And then if I wanted to, I could somehow Mm -hmm. implement this into Web3. All of this is Web3. All of it's Web3. Okay. Web3 is an umbrella term for technologies that rely on a blockchain. And what is a blockchain? It's open source software. We all interact with open source software in one way or another every day. Open source software on a blockchain context means that as opposed to us having to go through some intermediary, we can have peer-to-peer transactions that are verified through computer nodes all over the world. If we use the NFT transfer as an example, you as a business owner can create NFTs and then they are held in your digital wallet. 
when one of your customers wants to come and buy that NFT, then a transfer, it can be, you can use cryptocurrency to pay for the NFT. You can use traditional US dollars or euros or British pounds or yen to pay for the NFT. It depends on the way that the seller has set it up, what forms of payment they will accept. But once the verification occurs to say that the buyer had the funds, the buyer wants to send those funds to the seller, then the blockchain will verify that those funds are available. And then that exchange will happen. The funds are released from the buyer to go to the seller. And the asset is released or the NFT is released from the seller and goes to the buyer. And as opposed to some middle person being involved in making sure that that transaction happens appropriately, a credit card company, for example, instead, Mm -hmm. that middle person is taken out of the transaction and it happens peer to peer, verified by computers all over the world using this blockchain open source technology. That's just amazing. Wow. And I see why you are needed because (laughs) I would definitely need to be in touch with you. Like, how can I do this? Because if you're creating these NFTs and you said your digital wallet, Mm -hmm. I assume there are companies that hold this digital wallet. Like, where is my digital wallet? How do I create one of those? Your digital wallet is on the blockchain. There are different ways that you can create them. If you are new to this, sometimes people feel most comfortable with setting up a digital wallet through using a centralized exchange like Coinbase, for example, is one that many people have heard of. Um, Gemini, Kraken, Crypto.com, all of those are other prominent centralized exchanges that will allow you to use their platform to set up a digital wallet that is called custodial. In other words, it's custodied by that Mm -hmm. centralized exchange. There is a very prominent concept in Web3 that's really fundamental to the ethos that we should not have to go through third parties or centralized exchange to custody the digital wallet. There are two versions of digital wallets. There are the online versions, and someone would use maybe one of the popular versions is MetaMask, where you can just go download software, let's say, to your Chrome or Brave browser, and you can set up a MetaMask account. There are ways that you would need to be very, very careful about making sure that you are setting that up and protecting what are called the seed phrases. So as opposed to a simple username and password structure, in Web3 for digital wallets, there are seed phrases, which are a series of random words that authenticate that you are the person who has authority to be able to control that wallet. You never, ever, ever want to share those seed phrases with anyone because if someone has access to those, they have access to what's in your digital wallet. So again, you can have an online digital wallet or you can have an offline digital wallet. And there are a number of digital wallet companies, including Ledger and Trezor are some of the two more popular and more reputable versions. So if you want to take your NFTs or your cryptocurrency or what have you and take it completely offline, because unfortunately, the reality is if your assets are online, Mm -hmm. they could potentially get hacked and stolen. So sometimes people feel more comfortable taking their digital assets offline, holding it on a cold storage or a physical wallet, and then maybe having that in in a safe deposit box or somewhere secure in a third party location. So that again, you can't get hacked with someone coming online 
and being able to pretend like they're you and take those assets from you. As a recap, the ways that you would create a digital wallet are through a centralized exchange, like for example, Coinbase, or through a non-centralized exchange, like an online version with a MetaMask wallet, or an offline or cold storage version, like a Ledger or a Trezor physical digital wallet. And when I say physical, think of something like a flash drive. That's what I was going to ask. Is this like a thumb drive we're talking about? Okay, perfect. Very much like a thumb drive with some additional encryption technology built in. Okay. Oh, gosh. Me trying to remember those seed words. You don't. You don't, Monica. (laughs) You don't try to remember them because that is overwhelming. And, you know, especially if you have digital assets, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, or other things that have significant value to them, you really don't. Part of what I do as a Web3 attorney is help people think through the myriad of legal and pragmatic issues that they need to consider. My work is more focused with businesses, again, who have an established customer or client base or influencers and so forth. But for individuals, you want to have those seed phrases written down somewhere, perhaps in multiple different places so you can have redundancy and backup. People are typically encouraged to not keep your seed phrases online because, again, that creates a hacking risk. I think another just very pragmatic piece of information to think about with uh, digital wallets is be quiet. Don't share any more information or details about what types of assets you hold or don't hold, whether they are online or offline, whether you store them in one place versus another. Don't discuss it. It's no one else's business but yours and maybe your spouse or your trust and estate attorney so that you can make sure that since these assets are not held like those at a brokerage house, like a Vanguard or a Fidelity, where they make it very easy for you to have a beneficiary, God forbid something happens to you, there's no backup system like that if you're self-custodying your digital assets, or even if your digital assets are on a centralized exchange like Coinbase, we're just not at that space in time yet in this industry where those kinds of beneficiary documentation are readily available. And so it's really your responsibility to think about how to protect these assets and how to make sure that in the unfortunate event that something happens to you, those and only those who need to know how to get access to them can do that. Gotcha. Wow. This is a lot to think about. I wanted to talk to you because as a business owner, I'm like, okay, I don't want to be behind the eight ball on all of this stuff. So I'm like, what should I be doing? What should I be thinking about? And I don't know. I think I need to have a separate conversation with you because I'm just not really sure uh, exactly what to do. I mean, I have a customer base. We're providing custom embroidered apparel. What does that look like for digital art, NFTs? You know, I have no idea. We'll talk Can offline. Can I give you a, a, a bit of quick feedback? Sure. I love that. So I always love to, I mean, I'm unapologetic about the fact that I love to make my clients money. And so one of the things I'm always thinking about are what are companion or extension levels of revenue, right? I'm always, as I'm advising my clients, I'm thinking about what models can we follow? We think about the Apple model, for example, I'm thinking about ecosystems of value. So you might've started with the Mac and then you introduced the iPhone and then you introduced the iPad and then the Apple Watch. What they did was build out an ecosystem of value that makes sense. 
for their existing customer base, right? If I were advising a small business owner, I would say, why are people currently your customers? What are they already comfortable buying with you? And what are ancillary lines of revenue that you could add on where technology makes sense? And when you're thinking about blockchain-based technologies, NFTs, DAOs, the metaverse, you really got to give some consideration to being an educator. Because quite frankly, some of this is scary for people. And so to the extent that you can make it feel accessible, you can do things like explain how to set up a digital wallet, or you don't even require someone to hold cryptocurrency to be able to buy your NFT. There are many examples where someone can buy digital assets using credit cards, like they're already accustomed to doing. Right. So thinking through that Apple model of ecosystems of value that makes sense for your existing customer base. Again, going back to what I said in my architect framework, that's aligning with the identity that you've already built. And then the second thing is the Amazon model, where what are your cost centers and what are ways that you can turn those cost centers into profit centers? So if you have something that is a business expense line for you, how can you streamline that? How can you leverage that to be able to offer value to others such that that becomes a revenue source for you as opposed to a cost source? Just off the top of my head, if you were doing custom design, I would ask you, who are you doing that design for? And are there commonalities in their customer base such that you could say to them, well, you know, if you already have people who want to buy t-shirts, mm-hmm. well, how savvy is your client base? Are they interested in being on the metaverse? Like maybe you can think about ways that those people might want to sell fashion in the metaverse. And maybe you build the relationship with the artist who could do that. Maybe those people would want to offer value to those same customers who would be interested in the types of NFT value systems or loyalty rewards that you and I have talked about. Maybe there are special events. If they're getting custom t-shirts, maybe those custom t-shirts are for a special event and an NFT customized for that event could be the digital memorabilia that helps someone remember that they participated. There's a concept in NFTs called POAPs, Proof of Attendance Protocol. Hmm. And what that is, is again, kind of aligned to that idea of a ticket. I was there and here's my memorabilia for being there. In the future, there's a lot of concepts that your digital wallet will be your identity or even your online resume about what is your culture? What is your identity? What did you participate in? Were you the person who was at that special event that one year that it happened? And so right. these are digital ways that we can reflect our identity and what we choose to be affiliated with. Just like wearing a t-shirt can reflect our identity, digital assets can do the same. So if we move this into digital assets, the reason why someone would post on Twitter, for example, or even on LinkedIn, an image of an ape from the Board Ape Yacht Club is because those assets floor price or their minimum price can be tens of thousands of dollars. And so this is the digital version of a flex. If you, for example, hold a Women Rise NFT or a World of Women or a Boss Babes NFT, you might hold that because you really believe that women belong in the digital asset space and you want to be focused on equity and inclusion. And that says something about what your identity is. So when people are making decisions around how they're going to use these assets, there are a variety of reasons that they might present them. Snoop Dogg, for example, has a presence in the metaverse. He 
is doing songs that relate to the metaverse and digital assets. So it really comes back to what is your client base? What is that ecosystem of value you're thinking about? What is your identity and how do you want to reflect that? Okay. So this might sound like a really, my mother always told me there's no dumb question. So I'm just going to ask it. How do I access this metaverse where Snoop Dogg is? Where Mm -hmm. is it? Mm -hmm. How do you access the metaverse? There is no one metaverse. Going back to the conversation we had before, the metaverse is a virtual reality way that we interact with communities where we find affinity. So for our kids, that might look like Roblox, right? And Roblox is a metaverse. It is just not a metaverse built on blockchain technology. We are making a bridge from existing Web 2-based metaverse worlds into opportunities, some of which exist now and some of which don't exist now in Web 3. If you are aware that Facebook changed its company name and they changed it from Facebook to Meta. And part of the reason they did that years ago, they acquired Oculus headsets. And that allows people to have virtual reality experiences. There are other metaverses that don't require that. And you would get to it just like you would get to virtually any other website. The level of immersive experience is going to vary depending on things like physical gear. The experience of whether you own the assets or not is going to vary depending on whether it is a Web 2 metaverse or a Web 3 metaverse. The way that these experiences will evolve, we don't know yet. Just like we did not know in the early 2000s, late 1999, we didn't know that we were going to stay at strangers' homes by virtue of Airbnb. And we didn't know that we were getting going to get in strangers' cars by virtue of Uber and Lyft. But the technology advanced to the point where new possibilities show, showed themselves as available. And then people created and innovated and introduced and educated us about these concepts. And the same thing will happen in Web3. It's amazing. Someone gave me the example, and it may have been me listening to you on another podcast. I'm not really sure, but someone gave me the example of, let's say you want to go to a Warriors game, Mm -hmm. but you aren't physically there, but you may be there with the gear on and feel just like you're sitting in in the arena or on the web or however it may be. And so I understood that. I'm like, okay, so I buy a ticket to this game that I'm not actually physically at, but and it feels so what, more real than watching it yes. on TV. The experience that you have is going to depend on the way that the software has created that experience for you. For some people, being live at that Warriors game is going to be the best experience. For other people, sitting on a sofa and their normal interactive experience in their family room is going to be the best way. For others, being able to have that experience in a metaverse is going to be unparalleled because you might have a family member in another part of the world, but in the metaverse, you can be sitting there with them in virtual reality. You might be able to have a 3D experience online that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise sitting in your living room. You might be able to see that from various angles that you would not be able to have sitting live in that arena. Whether it's going to be a better experience or a worse experience depends on what you as that warrior fan wants to, the way that you want to interact. 
Right now, as I speak to you, there is an innovator in the Web3 space called Dapper Labs, and they have a partnership with the NBA and the NBA Players Association where they sell moments. And so if Steph Curry dunks on someone and you think that's the best dunk that you've ever seen, you can own a moment, a digital video that reflects as a collector's item you can own that moment. Now, you don't actually own it technically as an attorney. I would say you have a license to it, right? Gotcha. But it allows you to say, I feel more than just a fan. I feel an affinity to that moment because it is now in my digital wallet on the Dapper Labs platform and me and maybe 49 other people, right? Because there can be a collection that has more than one of something, but you limit the access to that Steph Curry dunk to maintain the value of it. So there's not an unlimited number of people who can own that dunk. Some people, maybe 50, again, as an example, can own that dunk. So what digital assets and blockchain technology are opening up are a variety of experiences that someone can choose to have based on what they find to be fun and worth engaging with. That is amazing. But I tell you what, that really made it very clear to me, that example, with that dunk experience that I purchased, which of course, if only 50 people can own it, Mm-hmm. probably makes it pretty valuable. Do I just play it whenever I want? Mm-hmm. Go to that website and I can watch it mm-hmm. again and again and again. Wow, that is amazing. Yes, you can play it whenever you want. You can go to that website and watch it again. You can show it in your home. You can show it on your phone. This really gets into some of the underlying legal issues around what is the underlying law of an NFT? And that really goes into trademark or brand names like the NBA brand Mm -hmm. name, right? That goes into right of publicity. So Steph Curry has the right to commercialize his name and image and likeness and voice and signature and so forth. That also goes into copyright, which is the way that we protect software. It's also the way that we protect creative works like film and music and sculpture and so forth. When you are issuing an NFT, You want to be clear about what rights you are granting to someone. The rights that Dapper Labs is able to issue in a top shot are going to be more limited in terms of that license. Because again, you've got to think about the NBA's brand rights. You've got to think about the celebrity or the athlete's right of publicity. But if you, going back to our example of that that wine shop owner or that winery or vineyard owner, you are going to be able to decide, are you selling that art in the NFT outright? Or are you giving a license to someone in that art? It really depends on the way that you want to think about the value that you want to convey. Same thing from a buyer or a collector's perspective. When you're thinking about buying an NFT, you want to be clear. Are you buying both the digital asset and the deed of ownership? Or are you getting a license in the digital asset and ownership and just the token or the deed of ownership? And those issues get a little complex, but I say that largely so that people are aware when someone says I bought an NFT, most often you have not actually bought both the deed of ownership and the related asset. You want to be very clear about what rights you're getting. Okay. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. So from a business perspective, we need to be very clear. Does have an attorney mm-hmm. making sure all of the rights are written out and clear to the person purchasing. And for those of us who are purchasing NFTs, we need to make sure we understand exactly what we're buying. Exactly. 
That makes so much sense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So tell me this. This is kind of new, but not. I mean, it's been around for a minute now. Some of us are just now hearing about it more and more. How's your business going? Because I know this is this is where you focus. Mm-hmm. How is that? I have practiced global intellectual property law for 23 years. I manage IP in 140 countries, but I really moved my practice so that now I only work with clients in the web free space. Part of that is because the law is evolving very quickly from a regulatory perspective, as well as unfortunately, there's litigation that's happening all the time. And judges and juries are setting precedent that impacts the way that people can build and monetize their intellectual property assets that are built on blockchain technology. I focus my time and attention with any new clients who I take on solely in this space. The fact of the matter is I have a lot of interest in working with me and I'm very grateful for that. The thing that I love the most is really doing the strategy around revenue. And as I've mentioned a few times, ecosystems of value, because people get lots of information in the news or frankly, from those who aren't well enough informed, even if they're well-intentioned, around what the pitfalls are. And I would never be Pollyannish and suggest that there aren't pitfalls and risks in this space, but there are also extraordinary opportunities. And for me, having started my career at really the avant-garde of e-commerce in the late 90s and early 2000s, my entire perspective as an intellectual property attorney is around the internet and being able to buy and sell products and services on the internet. I really approach this with the understanding that this is the next turn of the internet. Unfortunately, the last turn, a lot of the wealth went to a very limited and select group of people. And that group of people was not very diverse. So what I am really excited about in this next turn at this point in time, No one is truly an expert and has so much of a leg up on anyone else that if you get invested in this space, if you do your homework, if you use free resources on podcasts or Twitter or discourse or YouTube, of course, you want to cross check that and make sure that you're verifying anything that anyone says, including me, with other reputable resources. But you can learn so much in this space right now just through those readily available free resources. If you are a professional in marketing or finance or legal or what have you, you can go on Google, start a free Google alert, and you can type in finance or CPA or treasurer and put that together with crypto or take that out and put it in with NFTs or take it out and put it in with the metaverse and just get free Google alerts that will tell you what's being written about and reported on in terms of your profession and these web-free technologies. Do the same thing on LinkedIn so you can see who has a career in this space Follow them, learn about the ways that they were trained, learn about what their roles are, what their responsibilities are as an independent contractor, as a vendor or in a corporate setting, so that you can start to get some context for what exists in the market and start to create an idea of what your niche and your value proposition could be to bring to the market. If you work in a corporate setting and you start to learn about this space, you can become the premier expert in your organization around this technology, right? If you're a small business owner and you listen to a podcast like this, you can immediately start to ideate 
just grab your phone or a piece of paper and start writing down ideas and paying attention to ways that you might be able to serve your client or customer base through using these technologies. And you really want to, again, if you're early in the space, you want to be thinking about both educating your community and bringing them along and providing them with value. And if you are really respectful of your customers in your community, you will have two-way conversation where you're educating and sharing information with them and you're getting feedback from them. Expect some skepticism where there's lack of information or even where there's great information, there can be skepticism, but use that as just a point of information to think about how you offer something where the value is so rock solid that people are willing to give it a chance. We're all going to end up using this technology in one way or another. And if you want to be in a position in that 1999, early 2000s position where you gain early leverage and are able to take advantage of some of the early opportunities, build a name in the space, then this is, this is just an extraordinary time to be able to do that. Yes. And I really appreciate you reaching back out to me because I heard you on a podcast. It's like, I've got to get her on the Become Your Own Boss podcast because this information is so valuable. And especially for us small business owners, we need to be in the know. We need to think ahead. We need to be innovative. Yes, we're not giant companies who have someone completely focusing on this, but we don't need to be blindsided either. And I love the fact that you focus on strategy and you're not just focused on the law part. Because the strategy piece is so important whenever you're working and building your business. So I love that. And thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I'm going to have to have you back, though, Joanne, because this is constantly changing, right? It is. You've got to come back. You've got to come back. Thank you. I appreciate the kind invitation. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. This has been so informative. So informative. It has been a pleasure. I encourage everybody in your audience, go out, start learning. Don't be intimidated. You have something of value to contribute in this space. And I welcome you to Web3. Joanne, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I am so excited to have learned more than I ever thought I could around Web3 and all the things that it entails. So thank you so much. If you would like to get in touch with Joanne, please see the show notes for all of her contact info and make sure you check out the resources that she shared with us so you can keep learning. You all know how I feel about you. Thanks for listening today. I am so grateful for you taking the time. Join me on Instagram and TikTok for continued daily tips and inspiration around starting and growing your business. Both handles are at Become Your Own Boss Podcast. Also, I ask you this every week. If you haven't done it yet, take a moment to rate and share the podcast. Take a moment to leave a written review. It really does help the podcast grow, gives other people some insight as to why they should check it out. Now is the time. Now is the time to level up, leave a legacy and become your own boss.